Today we're talking about the size of the local church and the impact of the local church. Two things that are not always related. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. You know, the road seems long, but we are in this together, and one day we will stand before Jesus, complete as He intends us to be. And that's not just separately, individually, but also as His family, the church. God's amazing, wonderful, frustrating, beautiful, distracted, and often hard to live with family. You know, they're hard to live with at times and impossible to live without at others, and that's one of the reasons why the church is so important. It does seem to be that there are constant challenges and struggles, both in being part of a local church and for a local church, considering how it needs to live and breathe and move in the world today. That's one of the things we all have to consider and and put our energy into. You know, we are the church. God has given you gifts, abilities, talents, and the church's health depends on you. It depends on me. It depends on us together spending our time committing to this beautiful body. So I was looking through, uh, just thinking about, as I was driving yesterday, the church and particularly the size of the church. You know, a lot of people are discouraged because their church is small or they're frustrated because their church is large and doesn't do some things. It's small and can't do some things because of resources. It's large and people are distracted and they put other priorities first so that maybe they don't put their attention to the main things. Either way, it can be a problem. So I was looked on online real quick and I found a uh, an article in Outreach Magazine. It's called God Can Use a Church of Any Size. And he had a couple of things that I thought were uh, interesting there. The guy who wrote the article said that a colleague of his was turned down from submitting his resume to a church. He's looking for a pastor because he said he did not qualify because he was pastoring a small church. And I think... Uh, some larger churches have this mindset. Uh, you haven't pastored a small church or a large church, so uh, you you don't have the the talent, the the skills necessary, and they very well could be right. And I would say part of the issue here is not that the guy was pastoring a small church. It's not a spiritual issue, but there are some different what would you call them? It's a different skill set. Unfortunately, actually, I would say, because the role of the pastor is pretty, I think, clear in Scripture. The the role of the pastor is to be the chief disciple maker and to help the church be equipped to do ministry, to provide spiritual uh, leadership, help understand doctrine and what God has to say, and kind of give that spiritual direction for the church. And I think we have often uh, added on to that job essentially the work of a CEO, particularly as the church grows in size. So a large church has a lot of requirements for administrative and for bureaucracy that a small church does not. And every pastor is not necessarily prepared for the administrative work that goes into a large church. Uh, And honestly, I think we have made some mistakes. This would be my personal opinion. 
there are people in those large churches who probably could do the administrative work better than the pastor. There's no reason that the pastor needs to be the lead administrator. He doesn't need to do the work of the CEO. Uh, if the pastor can limit his work to the work of the pastor, I think the church will be healthier, spiritually healthier. And some of the key people in a, a church that's large like that, that the key people that he would have to be discipling would be those people who are the administrators, who are doing that work of the day-to-day keeping the, the infrastructure running smoothly. Because if they're not spiritually healthy, obviously they're going to struggle to make good biblical decisions. And that is part of it. And that's one reason why we shovel that kind of work onto the pastor. So, well, you're the, you're the mature leader in the group, so you make all these decisions. But a lot of those things, they're not decisions that the pastor has been equipped to make when you get to that complexity of administrative and bureaucratic work. And some pastors just don't want to do that. I would say a lot of them probably don't want to do that if they want to do that. Um, often they, they might not enjoy the work of the pastor. So we have pastors who lead who don't actually shepherd. Um, and I would say that is an, an issue too. And it comes down to the size of the church. It does matter. It, it may, makes a, a difference. That's not really the topic of the day. That was all bonus. <laughs> so this guy in this article goes on to say that uh, the church really uh, often has a, a self-esteem issue with size. You know, it's um, it, the Bible doesn't talk about the size of the church as being an issue or something we even should be concerned about. It does talk about the spiritual leaders. And for the pastor, he says, your worth is not found in your ability to build a crowd. Your effectiveness is found in each soul surrendered to God as you serve where he has called you. That That's it right there. That. That's the goal of the pastor. Every person surrender God, surrender to God. You're assisting them along that way. You're helping them. You're encouraging them. You're discipling. You're shepherding. And you, as you serve where God has called you, uh, that's an effective leader. I mean, if we think, if we look at some of our biblical leaders, I, I just go back to men like Jeremiah. And it doesn't seem like a lot of people listen to him, but he did what God asked him to do. From a lot of uh, Metrics, particularly when you look at his ministry on earth, Jesus' ministry was an epic failure up until the resurrection because everybody scattered at the end. People followed, and then he gave the harder message, and people left. That's the reality of the ministry. But the shepherd uh, is not worried about how many sheep that the master gives him. He's worried about taking care of the sheep that the master gives him. I think that's a different mindset that we have to have. We think about the size of our church. Uh, we want to be doing the work that God has given us well. And that's for everyone in the local church. What God has done is planted us in a community. And are we being salt and light in this community? God wants us uh, to serve him and to share his message with people in our in our area, whether that's a, a city or a, a rural area, a small church or a large church, this is why we exist. We glorify God as we share His story with our community. If the church grows, and this article he says, if your church grows, then that's great. But that's not that numerical growth is not the main thing. The main thing is individual relationships with Jesus. 
and ideally, honestly, those individual relationships with Jesus, if they are followed and mature people, should mean that we are sending people out. That our church is not necessarily going to grow because we're sending out mature disciple makers into the world, into other communities, into other countries, other cities. We're doing what God said. We're, we're following the great uh, commission, Matthew 28, uh, 18, 19, and 20. And we're going and sharing, making disciples. You know, it's, there was a pastor in Japan that he told the story of the church that he came out of that was a really small church. And it had been started after World War II. And I don't remember the details, but it seemed like a missionary had helped start it with a, a Japanese. And anyway, at the time this pastor was there, it had a Japanese pastor. And the pastor often would stand up and would say, you know, the best thing for the kingdom of God would be if we all really grasp how great that he is and how much he loves the Japanese people and how much he wants them to hear his message of reconciliation and that we all just closed the doors of this church and went out sharing that message and started new churches in other locations where right now the message is not being preached. And that was that pastor's heart. And so the pastor that I was working with, that had I was interning with, he said, you know, that church had around 25 people when he was there. But over several years, they didn't really grow. They stayed around that size. But they had sent out about 10 pastors and missionaries. And this is a church of 25 people. Well, okay. It's sent out 10 missionaries. So it obviously was growing, but it was sending out its best. So the pastor I was working with had gone to this island in Japan to start a church. There, there wasn't one there. There was a need. There were people who needed to hear the gospel. So he went there. He didn't go to a big city. He went to a small place because it was a dark place. And he really grasped that message that the pastor had. This is why we're here. We're here not for us to gather and enjoy each other's company, although that's great. <laughs> we always enjoy those times, even as uh, missionaries and pastors. You know, we love to get together. That's awesome. But for the church, that's not our primary purpose, just to get together in fellowship. That It's important. It's good. We all need that. And there are times when we absolutely need that, when we have come through a dark time ourselves, and we're, we've been struggling. But that is not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to glorify God, and we do that through obedient service. We do that through making disciples, carrying out His ministry of reconciliation, being what Paul talked about, ambassadors for Christ. This is what He wants us to do. We have to keep our focus on the main thing, and the main thing is a relationship with Jesus. So I like the way in this article he put it. He said, be obedient to God and love the people around you. That really is what it comes down to. This is how you glorify God. It is not rocket science. Uh, he said, find ways to invest in a person or a family's life. Uh, that really is the simplicity of the gospel message. We are obedient to God as we make disciples. Make disciples requires that we love the people around us and that we invest in them. And that's intentional. It's relational. Uh, it's very personal. Uh, and it requires time. It requires effort. So he ends this article, says, do acts of service not for a reward to build your church, but to serve God's church. You know, as we serve the church, uh, as we 
carry out the ministry of the church. The goal is not that this local church becomes huge and, and awesome and a, a shining beacon of light in our state, but that God is lifted up as that beacon of light who draws all men to himself. And I think it's easy for us to lose sight of that, particularly as the church grows. And it's interesting we think about some of the the ways that the church changes as it grows. So, you know, if, you, if the goal is to have every member involved in the mission of Jesus, then my view is it would seem that the smaller churches have an advantage over the larger ones. And I think this is bared out. Um, Lifeway has done some research, and they said that 7 out of 10 churches in the U.S. have 100 or fewer members, weekly attendees. But at the same time, it's kind of weird. 7 out of 10 churchgoers attend a church with more than 250 uh, people in them. So the big churches are getting bigger, but uh, there are a lot more small churches. The average uh, evangelical church has around uh, 65 in their work, worship services each week. Uh, and, you know, has it declined a little bit? All, all churches have declined a little bit. The evangelical Protestants haven't declined as much as some denominations, but has declined a little bit. But 65 people, so that's a small church, right? But uh, they have uh, an article in research.lifeway.com it's called Small Churches Continue Growing, but in Number, Not Size. They say small churches, and that's talking about 100 or fewer each week, have high levels of member commitment. And I think that's one of the things that we struggle with in the large church. And we'll come back. I think they go on and, and address this. But in a small church, it's almost a requirement. We have to have people involved to do the work of the ministry. They're not that much of us. <laughs> we, so we need everyone involved. And it's easier to get people involved when they see a clear need. One of the issues a lot of people have in going to a larger church is that they don't see a place for them. They don't see a need. Yeah, there's lots of things happening. There's lots of things you can be involved with. But you can't describe a lot of those as a need. You know, the church, we need this if we're going to have, you know, an orchestra. Is an orchestra a need of the church? Not usually. I wouldn't put it in that category. It's nice. I, hey, I nothing against orchestra. But I, I don't think we can say that's a need. What we need are people who are equipped to share the gospel. What we need are people who are willing to be disciple makers. What we need are, need are people who are willing to lead small groups in their home and lead Bible studies with uh, unbelievers and with new believers and with people who want to grow to become disciple makers. We need that. We have to have that or the church does not go forward. I'm not sure that we need um, a graphic designer that's doing all of our PowerPoints. <laughs> I mean, it's nice. They're beautiful. I have seen it done very, very well. However, it's not a need. Well, in the small churches, members are more committed because they recognize if the church does even the basics of what we need to do, I need to be part of it. And they very clearly see that place for them to serve. So, they also give more money per person and are more likely to volunteer. So when there is an opportunity, you're going to get a higher percentage of people that step forward. Hey, we need to get this done. This is part of our, this is our church. I think there's a greater sense of ownership in those smaller churches. A larger church, you just don't have that. You know, other people are doing things. 
and you see what they're doing and you may enjoy what they're doing, you may appreciate what they're doing, but you're less likely to step forward when there's a call, and partly because you assume, ah, oh, there's, there's a thousand people in this building, somebody else will do it. Well, when you're in that church of 50 and you go, yeah, well, who's going to be able to do that? Well, I suppose there are not that many of us that could do it, so I'm willing to step forward. It makes a big difference. So smaller churches have an advantage when it comes to mobilizing people in ministry, getting them started actually serving. They also, uh, in general, according to LifeWay, give a higher percentage of their budget toward missions, and they spend less on staff than a larger church does, which makes sense because a larger church requires a lot of staff just to get anything done, and they they have more bills, and they spend more of the money on other things. But smaller churches have some challenges. I, I do think there are some huge advent- advantages for small churches when it comes to giving people a place to serve and helping them grow, particularly if we're intentional about it. We have lots of opportunities. But some of the challenges that a small church may not be able to afford their pastor. They may have a volunteer or a bivocational pastor, and that that brings its own set of challenges. I, I think there's some advantages of there as well, and I think there's some opportunities that we need to realize and take advantage of. If in a small church, unfortunately, we often look to the pastor, even though he's only part-time, even though he may be a, a volunteer we look at him still to do everything. Like in a larger church where there's a pastoral staff that can do everything. Instead of looking at the pastor to do everything, what we should be doing is saying, how can we as the church do the things that we need to do? And the pastor may be the guide. He may be the one that helps us set up some guardrails to do it well and do it in a way that honors God. But the church needs to take a lot more of those responsibilities. I don't think there's any reason that your average pastor needs to do Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, go to all the visitation for every single person that's sick. He doesn't need to do all of that when there are other people in the church who can. Now, some churches may be small enough and have the makeup of their congregation where there aren't other people who can do that, but there are a lot of small churches that have two or three men in the congregation who could be doing some of these things. And the vision that the pastor needs is to train them to do those things. Put the vision in front of them that, hey, you could do this. This is not only the work of the pastor. This is the work of the church. And you, as part of the church, you can do this. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated. If you are reading your Bible yourself and you are able to learn from that, you're able to take things that you've learned and apply them yourself, and you can explain to me what you learned and how you're applying it, then you can take that and develop that process to where you can preach. It's not complicated, but you have to have that first step. And often, we're not really doing a great job of learning those first steps, of practicing those first steps, of really um, helping people develop solid spiritual habits. And I mean prayer and, and that Bible study that really digs into God's Word, looking for God is trying to change me. What does he want to change? And how do I live that out? And then how do I explain that to somebody else? This is this passage, and this is how I have applied it in my life and how God is growing me through that. If you can do that, a lot of the shepherding is that. I mean, the the difference, a pastor goes to uh, a lot more effort to look at all the kinds of problems that the church might have, not just his own personal problems. And a lot of 
a lot of our initial study is looking at our individual issues and saying, well, I need to find out how God can help me in my, where I'm at to take steps that I need to take. It's very personal and it needs to be. But as you grow, you get beyond that self-centered. It's, it's about me and I need to get healthy and I need to mature. Once you become mature, you need to be able to then turn around and look at other people and say, you also need to become mature. How can I help you to grow? What can I do to invest in your life to help you? And that means I need to look at God's Word, thinking about somebody who's not me, who, who has different issues than I have, someone who has struggled in a way that I haven't struggled, because God speaks to that too, but I haven't maybe noticed it because I haven't struggled with that. Well, the pastor begins to look at those things and broaden out his study. Every individual member can do that. Now, they usually don't. They usually stick on themselves and say, well, this is what I'm struggling with. And unless they have a family member or a close friend, they don't think about other issues, other people's individual walk. This is the work of shepherding, though. So I think as a small church, we need to look at the people, the men in our church, the women in our church who can be under shepherds. We need women who could go to other women and say, you know, here's some of the things that I've learned uh, as a mother, as a, a wife, uh, as a, a woman in the workplace. Um, here's some things I've learned just in my devotions that have helped me uh, in my thinking about my self-image or about, it doesn't matter what the issue is. We need to be able to reach into the lives of others and intentionally, relationally invest in a way that helps them take steps toward Christ-likeness. It's doing the work of the shepherd, of helping the sheep follow the shepherd. And that's Jesus. How do we help people follow Jesus? So even though a smaller church may have a lot more volunteer or bivocational pastors, I think there are opportunities there if we can free up and take away some of the the mundane and the administrative and bureaucracy, even that small churches have, and spread some of that out and give the pastor the ability and the time and the freedom to be a disciple maker and develop other men to be co-workers, to be under shepherds. So other issues that, that are struggles for the small per- church is always money. You know, they spend the highest percentage of the budget on buildings. They tend to have more people who are older, which who get slower and have maybe less ability to do some things. So a lot of members over 65 probably going to struggle to do a lot of youth ministry, tend to have fewer people uh, in youth ministry, fewer children, fewer youth, fewer young adults. So that all can be an issue that small churches face. But large churches, even though I, I think there are distinct advantages for small churches, large churches have a place. You know, they say, this LifeWay research said that congregations with more than 250 uh, account for 10% of congregations, but host 60% of all weekly church scores. And those in them, as they did the research, they said, well, they have a greater willingness to change. So I suppose that's good. A clearer sense of mission and purpose. Now, see, this is where I might have issues, and you'll see why in just a second. And a greater sense of spiritual vitality. Okay, and it says they have a clearer sense of mission and purpose, but then it goes on and says, but there's a decline among churchgoers in per capita giving, willingness to volunteer, and lower overall participation within the congregation. Okay, now how do you have greater mission and purpose, but you're not involved in that mission? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. If the mission is to be the body of Christ and to be on mission, on His mission of sharing the message of reconciliation, then how are we not involved 
uh, in that mission? How are we not involved in the church and helping the church to be all that it can be so that it can be uh, accomplishing this mission? So to me, this sense of mission and purpose and the actual practice uh, not being there means there's a, there's a disconnect somewhere. But he does say that because there is um, less willingness to volunteer and less overall participation, you know, there's the stereotype that a lot of larger churches have people who are looking for a place to, to come and see, to, to be spectators, but not actually to serve. And, you know, we see that there's, there's probably some truth to that when we consider how many people go to larger churches and they have nothing to do really with, with anybody else in the church outside of that gathering. Um, and even then, they're not serving in it and they're not sharing the gospel outside of it. So, you know, if, if people are going to a large service, but they're also part of small groups and they're being um, really invested in, they have that life-on-life discipleship, you know, and then I think there, there's value. There's a, certainly a lot of encouragement. Large churches can do a lot of great things. But if we don't have that, if, if we go to participate or go to spectate and we're not actually willing to serve, and I don't mean serve, everybody can't serve the Sunday gathering, but to serve our neighbor, uh, to serve our coworkers, to, to serve on the mission of Christ, then I think we, we miss something. We don't, we don't get the message. I mean, th- we have to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is for the church to be a disciple-making church that is carrying out the mission of reconciliation. That is the purpose of the church. That is how we glorify God. Not through having a perfect uh, worship band and having awesome graphics and smoke and lasers. I mean, there's all this stuff that it, I don't know that it's wrong, but it certainly can be a distraction. And if that becomes the purpose... If that becomes, uh, if it, even if we say that's how we glorify God, then I think we've missed the boat. I don't think God needs smoke and mirrors. I think God needs individual people who commit to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. And I really do believe that disciple making is difficult in any size church. I mean, it's it demands a life commitment. It takes intentional effort not to be distracted by the challenges of being a small church. I mean, you don't have money, you don't have people, you have all these struggles in a small church. It's absolutely true. But it takes intentional effort not to be distracted by the challenges of a big church. Uh, Disciple-making is intentionally investing in the life of another people, another person. And it is so easy to be distracted by everything else that's going on. There's so much activity in a big church, so many places where you're you're invited to volunteer for this and be part of that and uh, come to this and, and attend that. And a lot of those things are not directly helping you be a better disciple. They don't help you know Jesus better. They don't help you follow him better. And they're not training you to be a disciple maker. They're not getting you involved intentionally in the life of another person for the purpose of seeing that person take steps of faith toward Christ or toward Christ's likeness. So the size of your church, to some degree, I would say doesn't matter. Your focus and your clarity of purpose do. And your focus has to be Christ and your clarity of purpose has to be God intends for me to be a disciple maker and commit my life to following Him with every fiber of my being and to help other people to do that 
as well. I hope that you're doing that. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. If you have any thoughts or questions, write me at norman at runwithhorses.net. Whatever you do, keep running.